0: Uh, Die Sports uh, Behind the Pump podcast. This will be episode three. I'm Jason. I'm Brody. And today's guest, uh, special guest, all the way from the east coast of Canada, uh, Anissa Gamble. Hi, Anissa. Thanks for joining.
1: Hello.
0: What
2: up, Anissa?
1: Hey, guys.
0: So, uh will break right into it. Uh, you know, this has obviously been uh, everybody's been off since uh you know middle of March. Uh, what, what have you been up to during the uh, during the COVID lockdown?
1: Yeah, I've been um, I've been bunkering at my at my house in New Brunswick. I've been living downtown Toronto, and I came home for a week visit, and uh, that week visit turned into thirteen weeks so far. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've just been spending a lot of time with my parents. Like this is literally the longest I've been home since I was fifteen, and uh, just you know taking time to reflect and listen, and yeah, keeping busy.
2: That's awesome. You know, yeah, I think for well, for myself, as being locked up as a diabetic, things has things have changed in regards to well, every life has changed completely. But I found that I've had to change my um, diabetes management quite a bit during this time. What have you been doing differently during um, isolation? When you go back home, or has everything kind of just been? Playing Jane the same and been able to management, and there hasn't been much change.
1: Yeah, uh, I think the biggest change is that like, um, it gets like the off season for hockey too. So usually like this is your time to really get in shape, um, and that's been difficult because none of the gyms are open. Um, so I had to like definitely change my exercise regimen. Um, had to be a little bit. A lot more diligent with my diabetes and the fact of like it's different exercises. I'm not lifting as much because I don't have weights. So it's a lot more cardio based. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is like I came here for a week visit and I didn't bring enough insulin supplies. So like that was like a little bit of an obstacle of getting everything, you know, next thing set here. Um, yeah. But it hasn't been too bad. Um, And then maritime life is pretty quiet and laid back. So luckily here in New Brunswick, we've been doing a really good job at social distancing. And it's probably because we really don't do, we don't have like a lot of transit. We don't have a lot of uh, busy cities. So it's kind of been like the norm and atmosphere is a little tense, but it's kind of been normal of just staying at home, going for hikes and other things. So uh, luckily I haven't had to change too, too much so far.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally. I, I I can relate. I'm I'm not playing pro sports anymore or trying to play pro sports anymore, but I play amateur league and my approach to the seasons and the games and just the lifestyle in general is I continue that quite strictly. And I my part of my reasoning for playing sports was diabetes management, right? And I'm sure you can relate to it as well. You just you feel 10 times, I don't even know the multiplication, but it's so much better when you're training, right? And, and it's just easier to control. And and I respect diabetes athletes because I know you can relate to that because it's just, yeah, it's, it's common. And
1: yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, um, I just
2: lots uh, any diabetic athletes out there.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. It's um, something that no matter where in your career you are, It's always changing with your body, you know, what you're doing, time of life. And, you you know, how you approach your diabetes management and your athletics is very different as a kid versus high school versus undergrad to pro career. Um, So it's just adapting to those. And um, I guess, like, a good thing about COVID so far is, like, really practicing how can you carb count and then prepare. And this is the time to experiment, kind of like your preseason of, like, know getting to know your body so you can go into the season and be like best prepared as possible
2: Mm -hmm. when do you take your insulin when you're um before you play how long you like to go the full four hours and then wait till everything's out of your body and then you can kind of you can gauge well with technology you can gauge now where it's going what do you what's your pre-game routine
1: yeah uh, I'll I'll first answer. I'm not a healthcare professional, right.
2: Uh So this is
1: just based on my own body, mm-hmm. um, and experiment. So it depends on like the day for me and how much activity or what my sugars have been. It's I kind of go with that. Um, I like to. We always have kind of tea meals four hours before our games. So that's kind of I I, I try to stay at lowest carbs because I don't want to spike up and. Um and then after the game, I usually I'll I'll do a temp basil before. I really like uh the study by Desi Zahara is changing basil rates 90 minutes before. Um and then after games I usually run high. So I'll I'll a bowl is probably in the third period if I am going high. It depends how much ice time I'm getting. Mm-hmm. And then uh, eat a lower carb meal after post game. And then try to replenish my glycogen storage a couple hours later when my sugars settle.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's it's sim. Yeah, similar for me. I I like to take. I like to don't. I don't like having active insulin at all when I play. Mm-hmm. And now on a pump, it's easier to gauge what where you're going, right? So you can guesstimate better. You don't even yeah. have to guess, right? And um, if I'm running high. I I can't play. If you're running low, you can't play. So it's locking down that routine like you have is so important for for any individual. And and mine is similar, but it's not the same. Like you said, it's just your body, and and the disease is always changing, and and your routine is always changing, and life around you is always changing, and you have to adapt like that.
1: Yeah.
2: And I I'm gonna keep on saying it throughout. And but diabetic athletes are badasses. They're badass. Like their mind their minds are different. Their minds are different because you and myself and Curtis and any diabetic athlete, we have to consider some a, another variable twenty four seven and then still focus in your mind on at an elite level to a sport is just different breed, Anissa. Different breed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it teaches you a lot of like, about your health. Um, and then you kind of approach at least for me, I, I approach hockey differently than my teammates. Um, and it's definitely a symbiotic relationship. Like I love playing or playing hockey or any sport just because um, it keeps me in check. And it gives me motivation, kind of like a symbiotic relationship of keeping up with my diabetes management. And, but that's to say too, like a lot of my teammates, I also have struggles and, um, it's something that you kind of respect each other for. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, you know, it's, it's totally, it's totally something that, you know, people might not acknowledge. Um, but it's a difficult thing, but get over it. Keep going.
2: Exactly. Get over it.
1: Yeah.
2: Right on. So I was talking to you briefly before we hopped on, um, about your diag when your diagnosis, but do you remember? Can you explain your diagnosis story?
1: Yeah, I I was diagnosed with type one when I was eight years old. Uh, I remember being a kid and, and I was on a class field trip and my parents came and got me and I went to the doctor and, and way back in those days, like I remember going to the doctor and they had like, they took my blood and they looked through a little like spectrum thing. It wasn't even a glucometer. Um, And then I kind of had to go to the hospital right away. Um, But I kind of like, for me, I kind of a little bit as a young age, I remember kind of knowing what it meant. Um, My grandmother actually had type one diabetes, but she died a couple uh, before I was born and I never got to meet her, but I knew that she had the same thing that I was going to have and feeling upset and I remember being released uh, from the hospital on Christmas Eve and just being really excited to be home for Christmas Eve, but also like instinctively having to mature and doing a lot of different things. Um, But I also remember like within a week I was back on the ice and uh, it wasn't too, too different. And yeah, throughout my life, like I think that's like a really good association with me and diabetes and hockey is that you keep moving forward. It doesn't change. A lot of who you are, so.
2: Mm-hmm. You just have to adapt. Do yeah. You, do you remember which day you're diagnosed?
1: I don't. I know people say their diversity, and yeah. I never heard of that until like a couple of years ago.
2: I, I've never heard of it to yeah. until.
1: Yeah. So I call my diversity Christmas Eve, just because like that was a monumental thing of I remember yeah. leaving the hospital and making yeah. home for Santa Claus. Um. Yeah. So probably yeah, a week I've, before yeah, yeah
2: funny. the reason why i asked that because i was diagnosed december 16th mm. around the same around the same time
1: yeah there's definitely peaks of diagnosis in lower uh sun altitude uh times so like october to january uh there's definitely a high prognosis no one knows exactly why but uh it's so interesting hearing a lot of people uh with christmas related diagnosis stories
0: yeah yeah, is that- Curtis is coming up here uh, in the next uh, five days. Five days now? Five days from now, yeah. It was, uh, it'll was. it be his uh, year three. Wow. Coming up, so. Strong. Sorry, year two. Year two. Wow. Already been that long. I thought he was 11, but he's turning 11, so no, he's, he's two. He got diagnosed when he was eight as well, so. um, Same thing, and it was in June. We were just coming back from a trip, so. Uh, family trip, and he was feeling going there. He was feeling low and or uh, feeling uh, feeling high. Sorry, losing a lot of weight and drinking a lot of water, and brought him back to the hospital when we got back. And yeah, he was he was in the hospital for about a week again. And that's right when Max Domi got traded. So us being huge Habs fans, it was uh, <laughs> uh, ha- having him being from the Habs. It was uh, it helped it helped Curtis through when he got back out to being able to jump back on the ice. Uh, cause we were about, we were about a month because it was, it was just the start of summer. So he wasn't, he wasn't able to jump right on, but, uh, he was, uh, first chance he got, he was there. So he, I know he worked
2: hard to get back to where he was. Mm-hmm. Anissa, I got a question for you. Yeah. When did you realize that being a professional athlete could be a reality and how did you approach it? Or was it a goal implemented when you were younger and you just worked towards it, or what's your story in, in your transition to professional hockey
1: oh um so as a female athlete there's a there's a lot of i'm gonna say inequality of opportunities Agreed. so you know I played guys' hockey uh until I was fifteen uh, I played Peewee AAA, I played Bantam AAA, like I was at the highest level possible. And sadly, like in the Maritimes, we didn't have girls hockey. And uh, that's why I had to go to boarding school. Like I had to leave my family at 15, go across the country and just so I could keep playing. And I think that's when the, the kicker in that, you know, everyone around me was training to have that opportunity to be professionally. And that's when I realized being a girl, I didn't have that opportunity. Uh, the only thing you have is really, you know, being an Olympic player, and I strive for that. But this, there's, there's only one team, and then it happens every four years, and it's not, it's not a livable, you know, career. Um, so, like even during that time, I remember being high school, and I was practicing with a uh, Canadian Women's Hockey League team, the Mississauga Chiefs, and so I was practicing with like Sammy Joe and Shell Pounder and Jennifer Botterell. and. Um, and that's when they I remember them having a conversation of being like, should we make this to try to make it a pro career? So, you know, girls pointing me like you they could actually play, like, continue playing and have that opportunity. Um, so I didn't – it never really was reality. And then I went to university, and, and this Canadian Women's Hockey League started to get going, but it wasn't – you weren't getting paid. You can't make a living off of it. It's only in certain areas. And um, when I graduated, I actually – didn't play. I, I took a hole because you don't have that option. Uh, so I had to really focus on academics, and uh, I started my master's. And that next year, I, I wanted to play because I miss it. I like hockey is what I'm passionate about. It makes me so happy doing. Um, so I got to like be on the Inferno team on the Canadian Women's Hockey League. That's when it was like deemed professionally, but it really wasn't. It still isn't. Um, because you make, I think I made like a grand. That top player would make 10 grand. Um, and that doesn't include a lot of things. Thanks and so. Then I play in the Toronto theories and it's the same thing. And then it's uh, folded. And then now I play in the uh, PWHPA. And, and we're really trying to create something that the next generation, that they may have that opportunity to have that same ability to put in the same amount of effort to get something out of it or to continue doing what they love. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think like, it still isn't a reality for me to play, but I I really hope that it will be a reality in the future.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree. And I support that movement because it's like you said, it's the work that I put in is equivalent to the the work that you put in to achieve the same goal. Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) We looked at and and reward people that are are sorry fucking putting in that hard work right like yeah, putting, yeah i agree and i support
1: yeah it's year. not even like like what we always get argued is like we're not asking for the same as guys um we're asking for health insurance like my first pro career year um i was rationing my insulin cuz i didn't have health insurance and i was making 3 grand like i was working a full time job too and um you know it's that that ability of little things or even getting food like i got i actually got food in university during pro like you don't um yeah it's just like really screwed up and there's a lot of deep rooted things, but also too like hockey's more than just the game right like like even just us talking about like how important dot hockey is for diabetes it's really that does that resonates with across every hockey player of their health and it resonates of like building those skill sets of teamwork and leadership and all those other things and you really get you really don't get those opportunities as a female and a lot of people drop out when they hit that same age of realizing that you can't make it professionally in you know middle school or high school and that's where that's where the you know the discrimination actually occurs so Mm
2: -hmm. you know Mm And it's not like the money's not there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, it's definitely, I don't know if it's the, like, the money is, like, what's the driving force to keep it going, but I think it's a lot of our behavior of what we say and do and act as a society.
2: Right, right. And and that's, that's more important.
1: Yeah, yeah. So hopefully that gets on board. Women's hockey has its, like, problems. You know, right now we have another league that, um isn't helping um and even so what I'm playing in uh it has the right moral um but definitely you know NHL isn't stepping forward and they have those resources that we're trying to and uh yeah just like
0: so so they're not not involved at all in NWHL
1: No, no. So they made it clear that they're they're not going to intertwine or do anything until both leagues fold, and that was kind of like one of the reasons why the CWHL folded to to allow that open door. Um, So the other league, they just expanded to Toronto this year, Um, and you know what? Like I I don't think it's bad. Like they're at least playing, and they're giving people opportunity to keep playing. So yeah,
0: yeah. That's I, I. you know, I was fortunate uh before the uh before the lockdown we had uh uh one of the rival- rivalry series games uh in Victoria. I uh, took care mm-hmm. of us too. And uh yeah, it, it was an awesome, awesome experience. Happened to me, I think, the only game that Canada won through the whole whole series. So um uh, yeah. it was it was an awesome, awesome experience and uh uh de- definitely something worth worth pursuing, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Uh you just need to get out get out west a little bit more, that's all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty centralized um, where it is because the resources. But yeah, it's it's really like it is really good hockey. I'm not being portional, but yeah, it's pretty. No, sweet. It, it
0: it is on the hockey end, and you know, I, I for myself, I know I was fortunate to grow up I, I, in Ontario, right. And um, you know, speaking of which, who you know, I just saw uh, Haley Irwin retired. Um, you know, I remember refereeing her when she was playing PB AAA hockey in Thunder Bay, right. So um yeah no it was uh it's, it's definitely something special I, I do wish more and i guess that's why you know we're trying to get the initiative out here uh out in western canada because i know we don't have a lot of those opportunities as well out in the west so um you know why we're trying to build everything up out here so uh no it's good and I, yeah like i said i hope you do get to come out west more
1: yeah i agree right. it's beautiful out there good people oh it,
0: it is actually i'm just watching a deer walk through my backyard right now <laughs> Yeah. so um yeah so so you've uh so you've done it. talk a little bit about uh about your work i know uh, obviously you've been on hiatus a little bit uh over the last 13 weeks but uh you're doing some good pretty cool research uh um i know when I to talk to you last summer as well so
1: yeah Um, yeah, sorry. I, I, so I, am a researcher by day. Um, so I, I actually, I completed my master's in experimental surgery, evaluating islet cell transplantation at the university of Alberta under Dr. Shapiro. Uh, and that was incredible experience and phenomenal research that they're doing at, at the U of A. Um, so that was really cool doing a lot of basic science, you know, looking at, uh, you know, efficacy and, um, you know, clinical application. Uh, Afterwards, where I landed was um, digital technology. So I just finishing up of uh, working for the University Health Network and looking at uh, different diabetes um, interventions. So one of them was trying to create a Canadian diabetes registry. Uh, The other one was a text messaging algorithm. Um, But lately I've been working on a, a prostate cancer platform um, that is called NED uh, and it's trying to make telemedicine. So um, basically taking applications uh, like your appointments very like similar to diabetes instead of going to the appointment all the time is having it virtually so you save that time of going in and getting a certain value call your PSA just like your A1C and um, saving a lot of time. And the uh, big one now is trying to make it so it's nurse led Um, to triage the standard of care so uh, it's been a really cool project and we're utilizing a thing called Appy of visual data analytics so it's been a really fun experience so far
2: that sounds awesome
1: yeah and then um, then I'm changing it up I'm doing a big detour and I'm going to dental school in the fall dental school yeah yeah I know yeah Big 3, uh, 180, but uh, there's lots of reasons. Yeah.
2: Sorry, just rewind. What Where did you start with a T, triage? You're trying to nurse triage, so you're giving more power to the nurse because they're capable of doing the same job as the doctor.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So saving a lot of healthcare expenditure, but also to a much higher frequency of standard of care. I, I don't know about you, but I talk to my nurse more than uh, my endocrinologist.
2: I, I text my nurse
1: yeah yeah that's very yeah. so similar uh it's pretty cool working on different um chronic illnesses or different health conditions because it's it's pretty similar, uh which has been a really cool experience to learn about yeah,
2: that's awesome yeah good work.
0: yeah I know we we email our our uh, our nurse all the time, and then she just passes it off to the doctor, so yeah I definitely definitely hear where you're coming from
1: hmm
2: I got more. So in in with your your work and your scientific work in the diabetic community, what have what else have you been doing um in regard well, no one has been working out in the community, but what else other initiatives? Uh, other initiatives have you partaken in in uh, the the diabetes community? Yeah. Wow, I, I think my blood sugar is dropping. It's, that was hard. Oh rad. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's some juice or <laughs> Yeah, if you don't know You just came off a uh, big low and it's like the roller coaster of like and i uh, think,
2: i'm pretty sure i i still have uh insulin on board and so okay. and i and i just worked out hard now and, and like,
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah it's just stay it it's real hard yeah. um yeah no i actually like been having some pretty cool opportunities i think a lot of things are you know, trying to figure out ways to fit. And I think that's something so cool about the diabetes community is that like, as a diabetic, like you have to go on the fly. Um, so I was gonna, I work with an organization called Connected Emotion. Um, so it's, it's, it's geared for adults with type one diabetes. And usually we have these like, you know, hiking weekends or camping weekends, hiking, uh, and slipstreams, streams, which are like a weekend workshop, kind of like a diabetic uh diabetic camp for adults um they usually rely heavily on being in person of having those connections and those conversations um but the organization did uh an amazing job so far and they they actually did two slip streams one in canada one in u.s online uh so i had got to help out with both of those this year and yeah it was really cool using zoom and having you know expertise coming in doing like presentations but also workshops and then and these cafes where people could talk, and uh, one of the things I, I really noticed was people who never had access due to location or financial barriers or family barriers—they um, got to participate. So I think that was been a really cool experience so far, being a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I did—I did a cool fundraiser for my birthday for Diabetes Canada, where one of my social media and I was like, if you put a dad joke, I'll donate money, and so I got to raise like quite a bit of money for them for my birthday out of my bank account but (laughs) it was a really cool experience to do um and then uh the other thing i i I work also with t-skate um so i've been doing like an interview series with athletes as well um kind of a different format but uh yeah that's been really cool to be a part of and just like you guys talking to other diabetics who are athletes are involved it's been awesome
2: you want to interview me yeah i do Sure. Okay. Right. Well, I'll send you my email. Well, we have each other's email, then we'll set it up.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome.
2: I'll hop on there. Wicked. Yeah, yeah
0: that's that's definitely one one thing starting about this. You know, how many diabetic athletes you meet out there? You know, uh, obviously our our area was uh, was hockey, and then you know through through that I met Brody, and you know you know Brody's opened up a whole lot of other. Uh, other athletes that we found out that were diabetic and, and even branching out, you know, we've, we've got, uh, um, you know, one of our, our nutritionists, I guess, in training, Um, you know, she's, she's type one uh, over at UBC and she's a track athlete. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely seen uh, um, there's a lot of diabetic athletes out there. So um, we're definitely getting a chance to talk to them all as many as we can anyway. And
2: and and keep keep it going that's for sure
1: yeah yeah pretty cool people like you said
2: yeah different it's like um it's an i find they they have good understanding Mm -hmm. they they understand a lot of a lot of things early especially if you were diagnosed early like like jason said at the beginning he's 11 going on 15 that's what you said right Yes, that's that's what I said. He's turning eleven on, on fifteen. Yeah, exactly. You 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 age quicker. Yeah, yeah
0: that's cool. Yeah. yeah, he definitely you know just just for him counting his counting his own carbs and you know this year you know they're pushing him to do more on his own because um, you know here they're going to be sending grade sevens to high school so he's he's only got one more year and he's got to learn it pretty quick right so mm-hmm. um, yeah it's it's. He's had to grow up grow up really fast and uh you know, I know he's done a really good job, but other days he he just, just wants to be a kid and you kinda gotta just let him go, right? So
1: yeah. I'm the same way. I just wanna be a kid still I'm a lot older. So all of
2: us. I gotta yeah. I actually have a few more questions for you. Do you how did you okay, for me a big part of my journey with diabetes was communicating um, communicating it to my coaches because I ended up in competitive environments where there is 50 guys competing for 11 starting spots and you're obviously not going to want to tell the coach that you have a weakness right like obviously they knew and I informed them that I was type 1 diabetic and I had a continuous um, dialogue with the athletic trainer and she knew yeah but They knew, but I didn't, I didn't communicate it. I I didn't communicate it. Um, And if you listen to the first episode, I kind of talk about this and how recently over the last three years, I've learned to be more open about it and talk about it. And, And this is one of the reasons why I'm just trying to implement myself in the diabetic community more and communicate that, that it's proper ways to communicate Diabetes. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? Did you was it a good dialogue with coaches? Did you hide it? Was it a bit of both? Like
1: Yeah. I it's it's a really hard thing to communicate with. Um I know for me personally, I, I definitely have had coaches who might have not picked me or uh told me to calm it down. I was a really stubborn kid. Like all I cared about honestly was hockey and my academics and especially like going through my high school I I definitely was burnt out a lot um I had a lot higher sugars than I should have and university was really hard too and I made it very clear to the coaches when I was getting recruited that I had type 1 diabetes and if it was an issue that that's fine because I really don't want to play for a team uh throughout my time if they don't like that. So I think that open and honest communication at first is very valuable because it'll set the atmosphere and the tone. Um, so don't get in that toxic relationship of hiding it because it's just going to make it worse. With anything. Uh, yeah, I definitely I struggled a lot with my diabetes during my undergrad. Um, you know, I didn't have there was no like continuous glucose monitors, I was on pump, and yeah, um, it, you know, it was it was really competitive. You are fighting for a spot all the time and. I know my play was definitely affected by it. um, And I wasn't open about it as much because of that. And so I think like when I started playing after university, when I started learning about it, uh, and I really got in tune with my body. And that's when I started opening up. So a lot of the players I play with now, I played with them in high school, university, and now I'm open and I talk about it. And I make it like, a team oriented thing. So like, you know, my sugar, something, and I'd be like, guess my sugar. And like they have to guess it and I'm like, is that good or bad or something? Right. So just getting them engaged with it and then educated. So it's like a more of a team thing. And I think once I started relying on my teammates, like every other thing, like your hockey, you do, um, it really lessened the burden for me and and them. Uh, it just a really safe atmosphere to talk about it. Um, and they trusted me more of it. And now, like, when I was, like, a kid, I remember going off for juice box, especially underground, and I felt so guilty uh, because you're letting your teammates down in practice or a game or so forth. And, um, yeah. Once they had that understanding, like, you know, like, I think they would come up and be like, hey, like, you okay? Like, do you want me to go get another juice box? Like, don't no rush, like, I got you. But I think that built a lot of, like, teamwork um, too and had open communication with my coaches of saying, like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm high today um i i just can't play i can't practice today i had a couple times during um p- past year that, that happened and they're totally open about it and so i think just understanding that health comes first so like you said the open communication and the ability to be vulnerable and talk about it uh it doesn't display weakness but strength
2: yeah yeah good on you i similar similar to me is i felt that that same guilt right because there's uh, I know you're a team player. You play team sports. I'm a team player. I don't want to let my team down. So any action of leaving or separating from the team to to go do something that's necessary, obviously, but it has that psychological effect of bringing you down, right? Like it, your inner kind of gut turning, not feeling yeah. nice, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it's well. It's it's yeah. It's tough. It's a tough one, and that's why I I asked you, because it, yeah. it and it and I know diabetic athletes. It's we all experience that communication and mm-hmm. yeah, point where you need to communicate it or you're gonna struggle, yeah. right? Because yeah. I I similar to me now, I'm more open about it. I don't play games with my my teammates, but I should because that's awesome. But I, I found that now that more people know and I, I can, my focus is better, more positive focus, because I don't have the other thoughts of letting someone down or what if they react negatively to it, a coach or a teammate or whoever, right?
1: Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, and we're all like, I think that's a cool thing about team sports is that, you know, you might not like the guy or, um you might be a best friend but you're all in it together and everyone wants the best for each other so i think that i think that mentality of being like i need to be open about this i need to have my blood sugars in check because that's how i'm helping my team and it i'm not helping my team by hiding it or like going high or low all the time so i need to be accountable for that
2: mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome have you had a had any uh scary lows
1: Yeah, I've I've had one. I had one. um, I struggled a lot in undergrad with like conditioning. We did a lot of bank skating. Um, I still do. Like that's something like, I don't think people realize in hockey, it's like your practice can change like that. So I could prepare for like a more aerobic practice, but say coach doesn't like how we're practicing and that turns into an anaerobic, you know, conditioning skate. Um, So like we practice in the morning in undergrad and um yeah i just i uh i I didn't think we were gonna be bag skating and um uh, during bag skating i I went off and i I passed out real quick um mm. sugar just went sky high it went like really low to sky high and it was just that that really quick dipping up, just like you kind of feeling now
2: Knocked um, you out. Exactly. Knocked you out. And, yeah,
1: and then the stress too like it's a lot of stress of like i think that's the worst is like letting your teammates down when you're like. You know, you're getting through like an obstacle like that or something and you don't right. want to be weak. Yeah.
2: Exactly. yeah. And, and uh, during a fitness test, right? You don't want to back out during I, I've had the exactly same same thing. It's called the box. It's like a basically it's a bag skate, equivalent to a bag skate. Yeah. And you do it as a team. right? And I was having a low and I was I couldn't see. I could yeah. not I could not see, but I was just pushing, pushing, pushing. I made it through, but I reflected on it, I was like, dude, like why but that was my 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 thought process because the environment that I, that I was in was extremely like hyper competitive almost like militaristic style of coaching because yeah. they wanted to weed because they had 50 guys so how are you going to weed out how are you going to pick from it's 50 it's tough right and so I just pushed through it and then went to the side and then you know how the feeling when you're that low it's not fun I got through but I, you or i shouldn't feel guilty to f- go do that because it's mandatory for our our health like you said and that's the most important yeah, yeah.
1: And it, it's so hard like i had a similar i was i went too high once and i i remember like the ceiling was on the ground and the ground was on the ceiling and like i couldn't move because i was so high and like so much lactic acid but it's right. hard when you're like doing that conditioning because like you're like is it my sugar or is it like my conditioning like right. i don't know but if i don't like if i screw this up like it could be serious and um so yeah it's hard and then i don't think people realize like when you're in a competitive environment like that your your cortisol levels are so high and that just like ruins you so like having a toxic yeah. real, like pockets atmosphere i'm gonna call it because it's it might be a negative or a positive but um, it's really hard on your glucose management and you, you take a bunch of insulin and it's, it's hard to bring down.
2: Yeah. Relatable. I actually have another question for you. Continuing on the list of questions. Yeah. If if you had an option, would you either work out high or work out low? If you,
1: cool. uh, what, what, what am I doing for my workout?
2: Uh, Okay, we'll do two. Weightlifting and and uh bag skate.
1: Whoa. Okay, bag skate with no pressure. Like if it was just like a chill one, I'd rather be high because that'll bring me down. Right. Um but weightlifting I'd rather be low because of the adrenaline, it'll shoot up my sugars a bit. Um and it's quicker to recover.
2: Because of less uh lactic acid, right?
1: Yeah, how about you? Uh
2: similar yeah i would rather be low um for weightlifting and high for for big skate same same reasons because the well, earlier today i i was 12 and i was like okay it's time to go work out and i did cardio and then i dropped yeah like, exact same reasoning for sure yeah, yeah okay
0: I, I i'm oh perfect uh um, yeah, I'd like to thank Nessa for for joining us uh, this week. It was definitely uh, definitely great conversation, which uh, we've had a couple of those now since we started the podcast. So, uh,
2: thank you, Nessa, again for for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks and, for having me on, guys. Yeah,
2: yeah good to connect with another diabetic athlete, and we'll continue our conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You betcha. All right, thanks, uh, and that uh, that concludes our podcast for this week. Uh, Join us next time on Behind the Ball.